lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And happy Thursday. Greetings. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and of course, there's all of you. Uh, the key players in this little melodrama that we produce each and every day, because without you, we'd be just talking to ourselves and still probably saying the same things, but just not making any money doing so. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Uh, you can also uh, look for Steve Dace on MeWe, Parlor and Gab and look for clips of the program at rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. For example, if you are wondering, hey, can I get that compilation montage of the Fauci leaks, uh, the emails from the FOIA request to and from Anthony Fauci, can I get that montage, that brilliant montage that Aaron put together yesterday? The answer is yes. It's posted right now. You can have that clip at rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. That's rumble.com slash Steve Dace show. All right, coming up uh, on today's program, the weekly prophet of woe and lamentation, Daniel Horowitz will be joining us next hour. We'll have three non-political questions at the bottom of this hour. Uh, there was a little win in Pennsylvania that didn't get a lot of media coverage because it was the people of Pennsylvania rising up and saying we are done with COVID stand, at least in terms of the way it's been wielded by Governor Wolf. We're going to talk to an individual that was involved in that effort as part of our theme this year. The answer is us. Like we're looking for positive and successful examples of grassroots activism and Pennsylvania provided one recently. We'll get into that at the bottom of the hour. Before we get to those things in Aaron's montage, though, can I ask you guys a question? Of course. All right. So I've got my my better spectacles on right now. Okay. These are the Rodenstock glasses that the 144-year-old company originally from Germany. They're available now here in the U.S. We've been talking about them on the show, right? They, they let me have a pair. So I have a pair of these on right now. You see the way I look with these on right now, right? Yes. All right. I'm going to take these off. Okay. Now there's the way I look with them off. If, if, if I was or was not wearing glasses and claimed to be a totally different identity... Would people fall for it? No. Is there enough of a facial difference, do you think? No. No? If they had, what if they had no idea who I was? And they just saw two pictures, all right, this, this picture up against this picture. But they had no idea who I was. And they said, who do you think these two guys are? Would they answer, it's the same guy? Or would most people think maybe it is a different guy, if you frame the question you, that way? You want me to to say yes don't you because this will be the closest you've ever been to being mistaken for Clark Kent <laughs> this is why I'm asking alright so th there's a new show Superman and Lois and oh it, well, and I was it, on the mark it is. I did it's, not know it's, it's really well done actually it is very pro family it's it's really well done man alright and the, and the premise of the show is Superman and Lois are now married and they have decided to move away from Metropolis to go to Smallville after uh, Clark's mom dies and take over the farm uh, because he can still do all the Superman stuff because he can get anywhere he wants, anytime he wants. But they just think it's a better environment for their teenage sons. 
to be in a more small town, wholesome environment. And so them navigating this and him navigating fatherhood while being Superman at the same time. And it's got a vibe very similar to Man of Steel. It kind of looks like Man of Steel. It's really well done. My son, my teenage son, Noah and I, we love this show. We were catching up on episodes last night. Now, the guy they have, uh, Tyler Heflin, I think is his name. He is really doing a really good job. He's really good. The problem is, like, I could at least see with the comb over and the bumbling and the extra persona that Christopher Reeve created when we were kids, you could kind of see where if you didn't get an up-close look at Superman, why you might not get it right, okay? This guy, though, I mean, he he's still just a good-looking Hollywood actor that just puts on some black wire-framed glasses. Like, it, it's not believable, particularly in this small little community, and now he's been Superman for 20 years, so like the whole world has seen this guy a million times. It's just it's just not believable to me. And I don't want to get caught up on such a minute detail when the rest of the show is really good. But like no one I had but like But here a 20... you are on national television talking about it. <laughs> and no one I had like a 20 minute conversation about this last night cuz like me, I mean he's a stickler for like continuity. I was like no one who could buy this. No one buys the fact that he just put the glasses because the rest of the like his frame everything's the same. You know what I'm saying? Okay. You were going to say something? Go ahead. Oh, you were just done? You just needed to vent Yeah, I just was curious. All right. Well, obviously, my first question to you whenever this stuff comes up for me in the comic book movies, but I don't follow the comic books like you do, is has this ever been addressed in the comic books? It has not, but there was maybe the greatest episode of Lois and Clark. Remember that show in the 90s? Is that the one with, with Terry, Terry Hatcher? Hatcher and I Dean never Kane. watched it. Yeah. Great show, actually. It was, it, was, it, it was a great show, and, and maybe it's best episode is when H.G. Wells jumps in a time machine and comes to the future, all right? And he encounters the fact that there's an actual super being. And he can't, he figures out right away that this Clark Kent guy is Superman and he cannot figure out why the rest of the world is oh, falling for the fantastic. fact he's just wearing glasses. It's just the same good looking Dean Kane guy with or without glasses. And he goes to Lois Lane. He's like, you're the world's greatest reporter. And he's like, glasses on, glasses off, glasses on, glasses off. And he has this whole routine with her. It's a phenomenal episode. Anyway, I just got to thinking about this last night again. Uh, if you want, by the way, if you want to get a pair of uh, from Better Spectacles, uh, they can't promise you that uh, you'll pull off uh, a, an alter ego or a, you know a, a second identity, but they can promise you that they'll improve your eyesight quite a bit. In fact, right now, introductory offer: sixty-one percent off their Go Spec lenses. Uh, these are some of the best in the business, and they specialize in difficult prescriptions, so they can help you with free handcrafted rodent stock frames. Sixty-one percent off right now at betterspectacles.com slash Steve. That's betterspectacles.com slash Steve. All right, coming up in the uh, overtime today, uh, I posted this uh, data on all of our socials. Uh, it's vaccination data by demographic, where the United States currently stands with COVID vaccinations. We're going to take a look at that information and see what it does or doesn't say to us uh, because the trend line, it appears we have hit a wall about how many more people are actually going to go through with this. And we'll look at it. Uh, that's coming up in the overtime today at blazetv.com slash dace. If uh, you are a Blaze TV subscriber right after today's program, we will record that for you as a mini bonus exclusive just for you. And then it will get uploaded later for you to watch on demand at blazetv.com slash dace. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, though, and today's the day you'd like to become one, we'll give you a discount uh, to make it even more affordable when you also go to blazetv.com slash Dace. And now, with all of that uh, frivolity taken care of, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. 
What happened while we were away brought to you by the Fauci fallout, if you can even call it that. Science is a dynamic process. Yesterday at the White House press briefing, a grand total of zero questions were asked regarding the trove of emails involving Fauci from the early days of the pandemic. Later on in the day, however, Nicole Wallace of MSNBC scored the first interview with Fauci since his emails were foiled by BuzzFeed News. Well, the true mark of someone is if they look good, even when their personal emails come out. So you, you pass the test that very few of us would, would pass. This morning, however, CNN attempted to get some answers from Fauci on some of the contents of his emails. He was also specifically asked about the email from Peter Daszak, thanking him for dismissing the COVID lab leak theory. Now, there are some of your critics who say this shows you have too cozy of a relationship with the people behind the Wuhan lab research. What do you say to that? Oh, that's nonsense. I don't even see how they get that from that email. Back on MSNBC, Fauci was asked why China would destroy evidence related to the origins of the virus. I mean, obviously you want openness and cooperation. One of the ways you can get it is don't be accusatory. I think the accusatory part about it is only going to get them to pull back even more. You say it's in China's interest, though. Would you agree, though, Dr. Fauci, it is in their interest to hide it if there was a lab leak or worse, if they were designing something in their lab so that the world, that America didn't know that it came out of their own lab? Wouldn't they want to conceal that? You know, Willie, I don't want to be speculating on that. And then there's this. Vanity Fair, of all places, published a lengthy expose claiming to have reviewed mountains of internal memos, meeting minutes, and correspondence between government entities and officials, and came to the conclusion that the investigations into the lab leak hypothesis were stymied at every level due to conflicts of interest. Here are some excerpts from that story. In one State Department meeting, officials seeking to demand transparency from the Chinese government say they were explicitly told by colleagues not to explore the Wuhan Institute of Virology's gain-of-function research because it would bring unwelcome attention to the U.S. government funding of it. The piece goes on to say, In late March, former Centers for Disease Control Director Robert Redfield received death threats from fellow scientists after telling CNN that he believed COVID-19 had originated in a lab. Quote, I was threatened and ostracized because I proposed another hypothesis, Redfield told Vanity Fair. I expected it to come from politicians. I didn't expect it from science. Finally, check out this excerpt. With President Trump out of office, it should be possible to reject his xenophobic agenda and still ask why, in all places in the world, did the outbreak begin in the city with a laboratory housing one of the world's most extensive collection of bat viruses doing some of the most aggressive research? Why indeed? Moving on and checking in on New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. The vaccination card that you get, this opens doors and allows you to participate in life. In international news, Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu may be on his way out the door after his political rivals banded together to form a new government. The Arab Party has helped form a coalition for the first time in Israeli history. Catching up on some other stories missed because of the events of the last 36 hours, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on the first day of so-called Pride Month signed a bill that would ban dudes from competing on women's sports teams in his state. Um, first of all, the, it's, it's not a message to anything other than saying we're going to protect fairness in women's sports. 
We believe that um, it's important to have integrity in the competition, and we think it's important that they're able to compete on a level playing field. Checking in on the GOP, Chairwoman Rona McDaniel tweets, Happy Pride Month. GOP is proud to have doubled our LGBTQ support over the last four years and will continue to grow our big tent by supporting measures that promote fairness and balance protections for LGBTQ Americans and those with deeply held religious beliefs. And finally, the Babylon Bee interviewed a lab technician from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. With us now to dispute the claim is Wuhan lab technician Li Chin. Safety first. I'm sorry, what was that? Safety first. We here at the Wuhan Institute of Virology believe in safety first. We would never allow a deadly virus to escape from our labs. And if we did, we certainly would lie about it. Wait, would lie? Huh? You just said you would lie about a lab leak if coronavirus came from your lab. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I don't lie. You're lying right now. Am I lying or are you a racist? And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Wine. If you like to have a glass of wine every now and then, um, how about one that is 10 times healthier? We're down in Argentina. They make a really dark red wine from Malbec grapes that are grown at about 9,000 feet of altitude. And they've tested, lab tested these wines. Uh, They contain up to 10 times the levels of longevity and heart health, of the longevity and heart health nutrient known as resveratrol. It's powerful stuff. It it pops up in a, a lot of studies about longevity, heart health, brain health, etc. And these wines are loaded with it. They're also not loaded with sugar and additives. In fact, they've got 90% less sugar than the average foreign wine out there. Fewer chemicals, fewer additives. And if you love grilling season, grilling steak season, burgers, red wine goes great with red meat. Uh, And they taste great too. All three of us have sampled bottles of this. It's really good stuff. Notes of blackberry, leather, cherry, and smoke. And you can get it for 50% off right now imported high-grade foreign wine for 50% off and 50% off the shipping too. 50% off both the product and the delivery. Uh, And it makes a great gift. Father's Day coming up, for example. Patriot Wine 2021. Don't need a promo code. Just go to the website. PatriotWine2021.com. Again, that's PatriotWine2021.com. Let's go now to what Aaron highlighted in his montage. And... In fact, I want to find this. This was heading into this morning. Um, Grabian, which is a website that is kind of a ad hoc catch-all of, they just record everything that's on every cable news channel all day long and tag clips. Um, I, I think the people who run it are tilt tend to tilt right. But if you look at the clips, it's from every vantage point, any point of view. I mean, if you're doing, if you were, if you were, whether it's the Steve Day Show or the Young Turks, if you're looking for clips to put on your show, you could just take their clips. That's all they post are the clips. Um, here was when they had been following cable news, heading into this morning's news cycle of where things stood with the Fauci leaks. Fox News Channel had 116 mentions for three hours and 48 minutes of coverage heading into today, all right? Um, so they they sent this out at 7 a.m. Eastern time, which would have been right when today's show and all the major morning shows, right. Fox and Friends, are really getting into their grooves. Okay, so heading into today's new, today's news cycle. These came out Monday night, so we had Monday night, all day Tuesday, or no, was it Monday night they came out? Yeah. No, Tuesday night, because Monday was Memorial Day. Yeah. So we had Tuesday night, all day Wednesday. All right, so heading into this morning. Okay. Fox News Channel had 116 mentions for three hours and 48 minutes of coverage. CNN had one mention for 28 seconds of coverage. 
and MSNBC had one mention for five seconds of coverage. Uh, here's what that tells you. The, 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 the emails aren't good. It's not good for the COVID stand narrative. If, if the emails were good for the COVID stand narrative, do you guys think these metrics might look a tad different? Yes. Yeah, I think they'd be uh, dramatically different. Yesterday, all of... Uh, this was a story that broke right as we were on the air yesterday, and numerous media outlets have now, uh, have now uh, confirmed it, that uh, pre-sales for Fauci's book on virtually every book-selling platform have been scrubbed now have they just been taken away temporarily while the 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 the, the you know the, we kind of gauge does the smoke blow over mm-hmm. or is this too much smoke now we're getting the smoke i think that this is uh a test case of what his yes. marketability is yes but at the very least that is an acknowledgement that this landed now we can um one of our national media peers i won't tell you which one one of our national media peers texted me last night and said, hey, where do you, how much damage do you think this has really done to Fauci? And as you say, COVID stand. And I used that story to reply to him and say, hey, this, is the, this has been their demigod. They, they, in fact, they, you know, we read that, uh, those verses from Isaiah yesterday during mm-hmm. Theology Thursday you know, you t- God says you take the wood, you cut it down, you uh, you burn wood, you, you put it in the fire to in order to heat you mm-hmm. uh, and to make your food, and then turn around with what's left over and fashion a god out of it and start praying to it. You're basically an idiot, right? Okay, they did this with Fauci. What did Tucker Carlson say last night? Fauci is Jesus for those that don't believe in God. Yep. Right. He he they they crafted him. They they elevated him, canonized him, beatified him into this religious status. And that's why we have a whole chapter in our book, Fauci and Bargain, titled The the Branch Covidian Cult. They did this. So for the same they to both A, largely memory hole, this event. Believe me, if there were, if there were, you've brought this up on several occasions, Todd. It was almost about a year ago, like July 4th weekend, right? When America's frontline doctors held that press conference in Washington, D.C., I think it was. Yeah. And there was one, I believe, one black member of this group. Yes. Who is literally from Africa, correct? And has some viewpoints on a couple of things that modern Western secular thought would view to be unenlightened, right? Right. They singled her out in order to discredit her, they single out the black woman, you know, the people who build the race card all the time. They single out the black woman and her unenlightened viewpoints by their standards in order to justify now just crushing everything else that was said by that group of physicians that day. That's exactly That's the what only they did. thing that, that made any news was just that. Yes. That was a clear attempt at a narrative, right? Let's reverse that. If there were nuggets in these 3,000 plus emails this that would make exactly Fauci right. look good, would, they, would that not be wall to wall the coverage right now? Right. If there's anything in here, I, I, frankly, I think if, if I knew Nicole Wallace, if I knew her, I would ask her, seriously, have you sold your soul to the devil? Yes. Okay. Um, the, the, there's nothing in there that's good for him. Nothing. And you know this. You don't have to read all 3,000 emails. I haven't read all 3,000 emails. You don't, nobody does. You don't need to know. 
You don't have need to have known if I would encourage all of you to at least read some of them. But you don't have to have you don't have to have read all 3000 emails to know there is nothing in there that is good for Anthony Fauci, because if there were. The same needle in the haystack approach that they pulled on America's frontline doctors last year. Right. Right. If they could have done that. If they could have found one or two things here that on a that 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 itemize with specificity something good for Anthony Fauci, that's all you would have heard these last 48, 56 hours. That's all you would have heard. The talking points would have been sent out. That's exactly right. That's all you would have heard on all of these channels. They would have just highlighted that. It does not exist. It's all bad. And this is what I said to a colleague in national media on a text reply to him last night was they didn't scrub his book from all these pre-sales because this went well for them. Now we can argue and debate just how wounded is the enemy soldier. You cannot argue though that the enemy soldier is bleeding. It might be something he can go to the tent. And they get patched up and he's right back out on the battlefield. It might be a mortal wound. We, we don't know that necessarily, right? We can debate that. But at the very least, he's off the board. He's in the tent. They're assessing the patient. That's why they scrubbed his pre-sales. That's why they did that. And now they're, you know, lick your fingers. Seen, is the coast clear? Is this now when we got to go ahead and take him out and blame this whole thing on him, right? They're, they're, all that's being gauged right now. Look no further than that Vanity Fair piece. I'm glad you highlighted it, Aaron. I mentioned it on Twitter this morning. I have read this piece. Well, I should say I stopped reading it about halfway through. Here's why. I'm even willing, man, you know, I live, I live with a worldview that, that convicts me mercy should triumph over judgment, Okay. When it's at all possible, live in peace with everyone. When it's at all possible. So I overlooked even the first couple of references to this whole thing. We couldn't tell the truth because we don't, because Trump's, they basically tried the Maggie Haberman approach, the Maggie Haberman gaslight. Well, Trump's a known liar and he didn't provide us any evidence. So that's why we never, right? That's what she tried that last week. So I was even going to give them a couple of references like that because I found the rest of the piece to be a fascinating dot collecting and naming of names, which it does do. When we got halfway through the damned article, man, and there were like nine of those, I finally just had to tap out. Because this isn't, this is journalisming. This isn't, this is Pearl Jam's not for you. This wasn't written for us. This is the last chapter of our book, Steve, The Cult of Fauci in high gear. Yeah, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't written for for most Americans. This is this is a retcon for the cult. And now and now that the cult leader is being discredited in real time. Right? Do you know the name Charles Taze or Tazzy Russell, depending on how you've heard it pronounced? Do you know that name? You ever heard it before? Probably don't. I doubt we have any Jehovah's Witnesses. You're in a cult, by the way. Uh, I doubt we have any Jehovah's Witnesses in the audience because they kind of are taught to um, abrogate from worldly associations and pursuits, right? 
Um, culture wars kind of aren't their thing. Uh, you know, going to the kingdom hall seven times a week to be told, uh, read this terrible translation, uh, false translation of the Bible and believe every word of it. And then we'll tell you what more to believe. That's kind of their thing. Okay. So, um, you may not have heard that name. He's actually the founder of your cult. He's actually the founder of it. Maybe you've heard that. I think it's a judge Rutherford or something. Maybe you've heard that name. No, no. I mean, that's our, no, he's not. No, he's not your founder. Charles Taze or Tazzy Russell is actually your founder. It's just the Watchtower Society, after the dude went under oath in court, it admitted that he didn't know Hebrew or Greek under oath in court. Like, they went Jonah Hill gift, man. Okay. Can't have that. Because, I mean, the whole basis for your cult is your particular translation of the Bible. And then the guy who started it claims, I don't know Hebrew or Greek. That could be a problem, right? Yep. Could it be a problem that you do a Bible translation and you don't know Hebrew or Greek? Because what languages was pretty much the entire Bible written in? Those. Well, those, those two. That problem? Apparently. That could be not awesome or not awesome. Let's play that game. Awesome or not awesome for the credibility of your Bible translation? The latter. The latter. Not awesome. And so he's like scrubbed from like a lot of your propaganda. I'm sorry. Uh, pamphlets. Yeah, we'll go with that word. That's what this story in Vanity Fair is. They're scrubbing it off of themselves. Uh, well, uh, um, uh, 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 well, it was Trump's fault. Orange Man Bad. The whole premise of the story is, now that Orange Man Bad is gone, it's okay to tell the truth, which I guess would at the very least imply that if Trump had... Um, Officially, if Trump had officially won the election, is that okay? Sure. Sure. If Trump had officially won the election, I guess that doesn't, that at least imply they just would have kept on lying. I think it does more yeah. than imply I, that. I, again, I'm, that whole mercy it's a trap. Promise, quite frankly. I, 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 I'm trying not to be judgmental. All right. It's my, it's my June Pride Month resolution. So um, at the very least, it implies this. And that's what this whole piece is. And you have to get around like 14 variations. What Aaron pointed out, with, with Trump's xenophobic agenda gone, that's actually the most eloquent worded example of what I, this is repeated throughout this piece. I, I finally had to, st I just got so disgusted, I just stopped reading it. And, I, and, and that's coming from a guy who believes Trump made the absolute worst decision in the history of the U.S. presidency, shutting the country down and handing it over to Anthony Fauci. You cannot deny Trump's role in the elevation of Anthony Fauci. At the very least, it's an indirect one. You can't deny it. That's in the book, too. That is in the book, too. Yeah. But this, this, this was just disgusting. You guys, are, you guys are, you're scrubbing yourselves. This is what Marxists do. We just scrub Stalin. We just scrub Khrushchev. When the names are no longer viable and they don't matter, we just scrub you. We, you know, we move on. You're just, we're just whitewashing this thing. And that's what this is. It's an attempt to absolve themselves of their own sins. In this, in this Vanity Fair feature, they work out their own spirit of the age salvation with the fear and trembling of it was Orange Man Bat's fault. We're winning. 
but we haven't won. The child vaccination angle. And to a lesser degree, the vaccine passports, which it looked like will be largely relegated to the most infamous states of the union, but they will be somewhere deployed. They are the battle of the bulge here, if you know your World War II history. That was the last great offensive the Nazis launched in an attempt to one last time turn the tide of the war. This is COVID stands battle of the bulge. Too often what we have done is accepted winning as the win, accepted positive momentum as we're done, back to our lives. Do not do that here. Finish the task. Keep going until they're all till COVID stand is gone or it offers you unconditional surrender to make it stop. Give it nothing. I got an email from a woman who said, my husband, it's three o'clock in the morning. When my husband gets up in a few hours, I'm giving him an ultimatum. Either he and the men get together and say, my, our girls are not wearing these damn masks at their, at their, at their graduation, private school graduation ceremony in Florida of all places, or you might have to find a new wife. Yep. Yeah. That kind of stuff all the way, all the way, finish it. No wasted ammo. Can't take any of it with you. Give COVID stand nothing, nothing. More in a moment. So the theme on the show this year has been the answer is us. Opportunities for us to be the ones to take control of our own fate, take advantage of the freedoms and liberties we have, in order to push back against the forces amassing in our culture that want to take them away from us. For example, our friends at Freedom Project Academy. This organization started as an as an outreach from a grassroots alliance of folks that were pushing back on Common Core several years ago. That's where this came from. Uh, and that's uh, Dr. Duke Pesta, one of the founders of the school, uh, has been a longtime friend of our program. And that's a grassroots effort that has made a big difference. Uh, they perfect online learning with Judeo-Christian values. It's classical learning, like uh, the founding generations of the country were taught. So mastery of subject matter with an emphasis on critical thinking, not indoctrination into propaganda. And then we tell you what to think. If you want to take advantage of this one-time grassroots effort that is now mushroomed and ballooned into uh, a national online academy, go to freedomforschool.com. That's freedomforschool.com. Get a free information packet. Our son Noah did Freedom Project Academy for a few years. Uh, so we've also seen it not just up close by knowing the people who started the school, but we've experienced it as parents as well. Freedomforschool.com. Another place where we have seen some successful grassroots activism as of late, the state of Pennsylvania. And a little election was held there on primary day that probably didn't get the notice and the notoriety that it deserved. Why? Because, as I've told you for years on this show, the, the media wants to run away, including, frankly, even some quote-unquote conservative media, that's really just mouthpieces for the GOP, uh, wants to run away from stories that, that show how much power and leverage we in the grassroots can actually have. But as far as I know, anyway, the first time voters in a statewide referendum were asked to weigh in 
on being ruled by COVID stand under the iron fist of a governor. Uh, They did so in Pennsylvania and they rejected it. The organization that helped make this possible, it's called Reopen Pennsylvania. Uh, And its its founder, uh, Matthew Bellis, joins us now here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Matthew, Steve Dace here. It's a pleasure to have you with us, brother. How are you? Thank you for having me, Steve. Always a pleasure to be with you. So tell us, who is Matthew Bellis? Who are you? (laughs) Uh, I'm a private citizen. Uh, And this is something that a lot of people have asked uh, when it comes to reopen PA and the kind of traction uh, that we have had. I do have a background in business and dealing with government in business. Uh, So I saw the marriage of what was happening in Pennsylvania and the necessity to be able to effectively push back against uh, wrong standards on how people are approaching COVID and liberty. And so I thought, okay, I've got to do something from myself uh, as a uh, private citizen to push back in the state of Pennsylvania to try and bring some transparency and some accountability to our governor in the way that they were handling this whole COVID situation. So I'm a nobody. I'm not getting paid to do this. Uh, I'm somebody who just saw an issue and decided to push back. So... And, and I'm, you know, I've, I've done work with them in the past. Uh, I've met Morton Blackwell. I admire him in the Leadership Institute. But you didn't go through like the Leadership Institute grassroots training in D.C. and then were like sent out to impact the state of Pennsylvania. You were not uniquely groomed. You didn't have the ability to write out of your own uh, pocket, cut a five million dollar check to get you get you guys on the air statewide. You're just a dude, a regular dude. Yeah, that was one of the questions that we got whenever people would talk to us and say, uh, how are you funded? Uh, Who's backing you? Mm -hmm. How are you getting this off the ground? And frankly, it was no funding, no uh, backer. Uh, You know, look through our our group and it's individuals who have come together under this whole idea that we need to have better transparency and accountability in uh, this COVID situation. And that it it doesn't take the political class and it doesn't take the uh, the the D.C. insiders to be able to affect any kind of meaningful change. It takes people who are passionate about a particular subject coming together with the same message, saying it over and over and over again. And thankfully, 15, 14, 15 months into this whole uh, lockdown uh, system and issue, uh, we got to see some results to all of our labors. By the way, if, if if you've got a young person that has been invited or is interested in doing the Leadership Institute, I'd highly recommend it. If you can write us a check, if you've got that kind of wherewithal, here's five million dollars to go wage war. Uh, call me, okay? So we're not. I'm not. I'm not denigrating either one of those things. But how many people in our audience yeah. have time to go through the Leadership Institute training? Because uh, we're this is a threat to us right now in real time. You, you know what I'm saying? I don't. I, I, I got to get in this fight right now. How many people in this audience have the wherewithal to cut? seven figure checks like that and and not miss it whatsoever but there's a lot of people in this audience which means there's at least somebody all of you have at least some level of freedom some level of ability to do something how did you get this off the ground what were the next two or three things that you guys did mark well we just actually uh, a couple of buddies of mine came together said let's just start a group here um to ask some basic questions 
and try to gain support under those basic systems that that we wanted to make sure that first of all during COVID we wanted to protect the vulnerable and that was big because we knew that there were going to be people who were obviously going to be at risk for COVID-19 uh, but the second idea is that we wanted to champion liberty uh, we wanted to say, listen, you can have liberty, you can have freedom and your rights and uh, protect people from a pandemic. Uh, and also, we wanted to open the economy. We saw the uh, extra legislative orders that were being uh, put out there by uh, the governor and saw how much of a harm it could do to economy. And, you know, whenever people say things like economy, market, business, those are short terms for you and I. Uh, those are terms for people just interacting with one another, uh, getting together at, uh, at church or their place of business or how they work. You know, we were divided up into two basic groups. Who are the essential and who are the non-essential? Mm -hmm. And that's really uh, draconian language that we should never be using in our, in our culture. We should always say that everybody has a right to live, to earn, to make a living, uh, to gather with one another, and they have the wherewithal to protect themselves against infectious diseases. Just to confirm again, and you guys are men, right? <laughs> right? We are men, women, children all over the place. Okay, but, th but there's actual men involved? Because I've, I've, I've played a lot of videos over the last year and a half, Mark, of a lot of moms... Uh, walking in and trying to defy this at a school board meeting or at a drugstore or a grocery store all by themselves. Unfortunately, I haven't seen a lot of dudes, Mark. Okay. All right. So, but there's actual men. You, you yourself can confirm you are a man and there are actual men involved in this. Correct. Last time I checked, I am a man, but I will say you are right. You are very astute in saying that it is the women who have come out who just needed to be uh, given a platform, given a reason uh, to fight for those rights and those freedoms uh, to, to uh, <laughs> use those mama bear instincts uh, to help people. And it's not just for themselves. Uh, men, women all over the place are fighting for other people. We're standing up not because we want to selfishly harbor uh, all of our uh, uh, rights and abilities, but we're coming together to stand up for other people and say, you have the right to live, you have the right to earn and make a living, meet other people, and you can do it responsibly, and you should be respected in your life and livelihood. So you guys work to get even get this on the ballot, right? That, that takes an effort to even get this on the ballot, correct? Well, we worked with a number of legislators, right. and the, the thing that we actually heard from the legislators was that the group itself and the type of uh, fervency that we were able to bring together, and it's not just Reopen PA, but the type of coalition that we've been able to bring together gave these legislators the, the extra boost, the, uh, the, the punch in the arm to say, yeah, put yeah. that out there, yep. uh, make that happen. Make the bold statement. Ask the state whether they want to be a part of this or not. They did. The state answered. And now we are a much more free and open uh, state. Somebody's listening right now. All right. And Pennsylvania in the last, you know, it's, it's been a white whale for Republicans and conservatives uh, since the 80s. The Trump era has turned it into a bit of a more of a battleground state on a statewide level. Right. There may be even some places, though, Oregon, you might think you're just way too outnumbered. Who knows? But if someone's watching or listening right now, Mark, 
and they're asking themselves, could we duplicate this? What, what advice would you give them? You need to find your tribe. You've got to find the people who are of like mind. Because if you are a lone voice in the wilderness, unfortunately, in this era, you might not be heard as much as you would want to. But you need to find the people who agree with you. You need to come together passionately. And you need to have a coalesced message that goes out to those who are in the positions of power and actually uh, uh, try to affect change by your consistency. So there are a few items that we brought up right away, and I said it before, but I'll say it again. It's having the right message with a lot of people saying it over and over and over again, and that's a simple formula to affect real change. Hmm. You guys have basically a victory rally, right? Throwing your own ticker tape parade this weekend, and you earned it. Hey, Babe Ruth once said, ain't bragging if you can do it. Okay, so um, yeah. tell us about what, what you guys are doing this weekend and why. Well, June uh, 5th, this Saturday, uh, from 10 to noon, we're meeting on the steps of the Capitol because that's where we've met before, and we've met before to protest. And this is not a protest. This is a celebration. This is a time to actually say we had a mission, we accomplished our mission, and we need to celebrate the freedoms that God has given us. I believe it's very important not just to begin well, but to end well. This was not a platform for any one person to uh, increase their political standpoint. I'm not running for office. Uh, I'm not trying to uh, garner a following. Uh, I'm, I'm not doing any of that. I want people to know that this was very issue-oriented. It was very bipartisan. And the people of Pennsylvania have come together to really accomplish one goal, and we did it. Hmm. People want to get more information on you guys, Mark. How can they do that? Maybe even somebody in another state wants to just go to a website, watch your rally, just see what they can glean. Maybe they can follow in your footsteps. Where would you urge them to go? Uh, just go to Facebook, Reopen PA. Uh, that's where we've uh, coalesced a, a lot. Uh, it, it, there are other resources out there, Twitter, uh, YouTube. Uh, but uh, just look for Reopen PA, uh, my name, Matthew Bellis, and, uh, and you'll find all the resources that you uh, could ever want. <laughs> Matthew Bellis, he is the founder of Reopen PA, an extraordinarily successful grassroots effort. Uh, well done, brother. Very, very well done. Congratulations to you guys. And thank you for, uh, for, for being an example for other people uh, to both be inspired by and also to emulate. All right. Take care. God bless. Thank you, Steve. God bless. You bet. So we've been telling you about uh, Rough Greens for quite a while now. You know, it's that supplement powder you put in your puppy's food to replace all the good stuff that the food maker probably took out when it left the factory so it would last a long time on the shelf. Same thing to do to the people food, too. That's why we take so many supplements nowadays to put that stuff right back in. But you might be concerned, hey, I, I know I mix it in with my dog's food. I've heard you talk about it, Steve. I've heard you talk about how much your dog, Cap, loves this stuff. But maybe my dog won't like it, so I don't want to take that chance. We heard you. And so, therefore, we have this offer for you. We're going to give you the bag for free. You just pay for the shipping. But that first 14-day Jumpstart bag, that very same bag that we had been promoting on the show, we're now giving you the bag itself for free just to find out if your dog likes it every bit as much as my dog, Cap, does. When you go to roughgreens.com, R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com, or give them a call at 833-ROUGH-DOG, 833-ROUGH-DOG. Again, the bag is free 
You just pay for the shipping. Gentlemen, some thoughts on that conversation we just had with just a regular dude who got together with some other regular dudes and dudettes and changed the state of Pennsylvania. Well, I was hoping I was going to have a chance after the, the guests I lined up for this week. It was very intentional. Uh, Steve, maybe you can. You recall as much better. Our guest on Tuesday was also a regular dude who started a, a clearinghouse to help people with all these issues, sort through it. How, where do I go for help? And I did this purposely after Memorial Day. Memorial Day, those men and women who give the last full measure of devotion to preserve freedom and liberty. It's the very least that you folks can do watching these last two uh, guests that we've had to at least any up to the degree that they are. Life was not on the line yet. But if we continue to just pray we get back to the normal that got us here in the first place, it will sooner or later be on the line. God bless the two men we featured on the show and all of you who are doing the same, but there's so much more work yet to be done, which Steve ended the first segment on today. Keep going until this race is finished. It's a marathon. It was never a sprint. You must continue to plant the flag all over the place. The issues will not die. The left, the, the progressive left is promising with their doublespeak and their uh, propaganda that they plan on finishing this race come hell or high water. What are you prepared to do? I don't know if you guys have seen this, Todd. You just said you were working out in the yard recently, and Steve, I know um, you did some yard work a few weeks ago. The ants this year are just everywhere. There's there's tons of them, at least here in Iowa that I've seen. And uh, this weekend, I was just I was in the garage and I saw saw an ant, and it is incredible, even the strength of one ant, but what they can pick up. When they're all working on, mm-hmm. on on a piece of whether it's food or or something else, it is incredible to see those tiny little arms lifting up something that's far far uh, heavier than than they are, and that's kind of that's kind of the idea that I got from from Matthew there. A lot of voices pulling for the same thing, and if this can be done in an emergency situation like COVID has been for the last. 15 months emergency and I in the sense of your liberties are being taken away one by one overnight um, imagine what could happen with the same group of people on other issues with even more planning uh, mm-hmm. and even more time to get something done I don't know you might be able to throw and oust judges out that don't uh, don't like what or that you huh. don't like what they did you I might like be able to idea. do something like that yeah imagine what you could do um, on other issues Start imagining and then go do. Go do. Well said. We'll come back. Hour two. The prophet of woe and lamentation, Daniel Horowitz, will be joining us, though, for a rare, a rare dose of inspiration from Daniel. I'll explain next. back with hour two live and on demand here on blaze tv radio and podcast steve dace here alongside daniel horowitz maybe uh three non-political questions and of course totters and aaron mcintyre they're here with me too uh let us know what you think about what we think steve at stevedace.com that is the email address uh d-e-a-c-e is how to spell the last name uh you can also look for us uh, look for steve dace on me we parlor and gab uh, as well as Facebook, uh, follow me on Twitter 
at Steve Dace Show. And you can find clips of the program at rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show as well. And that is also where you can go and get the uh, uh, the compilation that Aaron put together yesterday, uh, the outstanding montage on what uh, on Fauci's uh, emails, uh, the highlights you need to know. That video is at Rumble.com/slash Steve Day Show. Watch it there. Share it, please, with everybody that uh, you know. I, and we didn't get into this in the first hour. I wanted to address it in today's montage. Aaron has a clip. Uh, of Fauci responding to even a gentle pushback, but it is some form of pushback from uh, CNN. Um, and, and his response is that science is dynamic, he says. Let me, let me translate this, what this means. When, um, when the science thinks that it has a narrative that can, that can satisfy its thirst, for more control over you, that means the science is settled. Correct. That's what the science is settled when the spirit of the age thinks that it has conjured the narrative that grants it more control, uh, grants it more control over you, which is its number one driving force. The science is dynamic when the spirit of the age encounters a level of pushback that was harsher than it had anticipated. It's just science. It's just science, yes. Let me repeat that to make sure you got it, okay? The science is settled when the spirit of the age believes it has a narrative that allows it to get even more power and control over you. The science is dynamic when it encounters that same spirit of the age encounters a level of resistance and pushback that is harsher and more effective than it had anticipated that's what that means we're standing on the shoulders of giants here that's just how isaac newton and uh, einstein laid it out steve well done you summed it up nicely (laughs) yes yes that's exactly how it's been done all these years indeed uh this portion of the show brought to you by our good friends at built bar just broke open the coconut brownie chunk i didn't get in trouble yesterday for Mentioning the grasshopper cookie flavor they sent me that I still don't think is out yet because I haven't gotten any promotional material. I didn't even know I was getting this, by the way. But it's incredible. So is the coconut brownie chunk. The birthday cake uh, is supposed to arrive tomorrow. I don't know if it'll get in, though, in time for me to try it here on the show. But, folks, you've just never had a protein bar this good. I promise you. Okay. And, And you haven't had. There are candy bars that aren't this good. And they certainly, there certainly aren't any candy bars that are this healthy. All right. So that grasshopper cookie that tasted so decadent, that was 150 calories. So whether it's low calorie, low sugar, low carb, whatever healthy lifestyle that you're looking for, or maybe you're just like, you know what, man, I I got a sweet tooth. I just got to cut back on those. But then the sweet tooth kicks in. This will satisfy those cravings. All right. And it's a protein bar on top of that, give it a shot right now. 15% off if you use my last name, Dace, as the promo code. D-E-A-C-E, my last name, Dace, as the promo code. Get 15% off at BuiltBar.com. That's B-U-I-L-T for BuiltBar.com. And we have him. He is the weekly prophet of woe and lamentation held over one day later. 
coming back from his latest attempt out there with uh, the Front Sight Group in Nevada. Our colleague, Daniel Horowitz. Good to see you, brother. How are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. And Steve, you'd be happy to know that our buddy Rick Green had those built bars out there training in 110 degree weather. So those are some pretty good protein bars. So you've tried them, haven't you? Indeed. They are. Dude, those things are boss, man. They are. So we, you are the prophet of woe and lamentation, but I think this week I want you to bring to our audience some inspiration. Now, there will still be woe and lamentation um, within that inspiration given the subject matter, okay? But recently on your podcast, you did an interview I was just completely mesmerized by. And the amount of dots that were connected, um, I, I, I just found myself at times like my mouth just sitting in a, a room alone listening, my mouth like agape, all right? And it was with a childhood Holocaust survivor, a woman who was an orphan, and they tried to put her on a boat uh, to escape uh, the Nazis that they put a bunch of other orphans on. She had actually been connected with a family during this time and didn't want to be separated from them, kind of threw a fit so that they uh, just to just to basically satisfy her. They put her on the go ahead and put her on the boat with the family that she had reconnected with. And then she, when she was on the boat with them, she finds out the next morning when she gets up that the boat that all the orphan children were put on had just been sunk by the Nazis, by a Nazi submarine, and they were all dead. And so that her life story kind of, you know, grows and grows from there. And it's it's an incredible story, but it's the way that based on her own life experience and the dots she connected, you know, I've been very hesitant on our show for years. You know, we've yeah. we've kind of uh, deployed Godwin's law that you're not allowed to deteriorate every argument into an into a Nazi reference or a Hitler reference. But brother, I gotta tell you, man, listening to this, listening to this lady. First of all, she's got balls, number one. But listening to this lady, I, I, I was, I, I mean, I was gobsmacked, brother. Can you tell our audience about some of the things that she shared with you on your podcast? Sure. So you're referring to Vera Sharav, and, and just so the audience understands, she made Marjorie Taylor Greene look like Mitt Romney. And in fact, the difference is she herself went through the Holocaust, was in a camp for two years at age four and five. Her father died in the camp. I'm not sure what happened to her mother. But the point is, she said she learned early on to question authority, to question what adults um, would tell her. And you think nowadays that Fauci to this day, despite being caught red handed, it's not so much what he did in the past. It's what he's still doing, saying that kids under 12, you better get that shot, despite all the research on myocarditis coming out even from the Israelis. And the biggest thing that her biggest theme is the marriage of of public health and unbridled government control is Nazism. No one's talking about an outcome, the outcome of COVID fascism thus far, comparing it to the extermination of 6 million Jews. We're talking about Germany in the 1930s that you are saying that if you are a public health threat, we could do anything we want to you, and we get to determine that you're a public health threat, even when there's prima facie no signs of it. So in other words, because and, this is where we always get hung up on the Nazi stuff. 
All right. Like it's a very specific application. Like somehow yes. we're taking away the unique suffering that occurred to the Jewish that that was in, that was inflicted yes. upon the Jewish people. We're robbing them of that of that legacy. All right. In order to make a cheap political point. What you what she's arguing in your podcast is this is get over the specific application and the specific yes. people targeted. Look at it as an archetype, as a methodology, as a process, as an ideal, as an ideology. It's actually played itself out numerous other times in human history. This is just one of the more specific ones that's happened recently yes. is what she is the point that she made. History is always going to repeat itself. If you don't learn the lessons, but it might not repeat itself in the sense that it's going to occur on the same partly cloudy day, Mm -hmm. the same details. And rather than spending the rest of her life warning that Jews are going to be victims for for forever, her point is it's not just Jews. The point is a lot of people nowadays have trouble envisioning true evil embodied in COVID fascism because they don't see it on the surface being targeted at a particular group. But what they don't understand is the threat nowadays is not a matter of, hey, I don't like this group or that group. It is a global dominance from the globalists that will use anything in science to manipulate in order to further the political science of control. And her warning was two things. At a governmental level, public health was the most powerful tool that got people who lived with Jews there in the Rhine Valley for a thousand years to suddenly fear them. And and then really the second point from the people's end, fear. Fear is the biggest motivator of a population Mm. and that's how government could play upon that. And I just don't understand how you could look at what's going on over the past 15 months and not draw that analogy. And again, I encourage people to listen to that. She drew many, many other um, parallels that I think we all need to listen and not dismiss. And like you, Steve, I always stayed away from that issue. But again, when you start saying you must cover your mouth as a sign of respect, uh, Buck Gang said that, and then Fauci said it's a theater we're going to have special identifications for people that were vaccinated. Why does it make it any less serious, the fact that it's not targeting Jews or a particular group? That was the the, the essence of her message. She also added some little flourishes that I thought were very chilling. Um, the, the, the sort of the big tech of that day and time, IBM had a unique relationship with the German government where they essentially gave them proprietary technology that allowed them an easier opportunity to both tag and monitor uh, the Jewish population, for example. She didn't make this exact claim, but it was clear that I thought she was hinting at the relationship between, say, uh, IBM's replacement in our time, Microsoft and Bill Gates and his relationship to some of these various entities that she was talking about today. I, I, I was, I mean, I was kind of overwhelmed listening to this. I, I agree with you. I would urge everyone in this audience to go and listen to the fullness of this podcast for themselves. Exactly. And th- th- this is not a woman trying to grift, trying to do anything. Uh, she's been at this for a long time, warning about public health um, informed consent. And that was her biggest takeaway 
from the Holocaust informed consent. Um, and the fact that we're having medical experimentations uh, foisted upon us and our children without that proper consent, the technology thing was huge. Uh, she was one of the first guests I, I've had for a while that actually gave me a landline. And and then, <laughs> that's when she told me she hates all this stuff and she doesn't trust it. And I think what people don't understand is that technology is always really in conflict with our basic humanity. Now you could use it for the good and look, the Germans actually had pretty uh, deep advances in medical technology during that era. That, that era. It wasn't all an error. It wasn't all demonic. It turned into it. Um, but they had a lot of medical advances during that period of time. They worshiped technology. And it's the same thing here. We've done a lot of good with the technology, but then it's brought out to destroy human relationships. Life is now on Zoom, mm -hmm. and now we track you. Now we monitor you. And the most chilling thing she ended off with that, talking about big tech and and, uh, and Bill Gates, because of the nature of technology, she said, where are the allied forces? Back then, they always knew it was a matter of time when the allied forces would liberate them and take over. Who's going to liberate us now? The problem is it's among all of us. It's all among the people. We're all part of it. There is no separate and distinct liberating force unless we create it ourselves. Hmm. So Vanity Fair has an exhaustive piece out today that I tried to read. Because it appears that there might actually be, at some point in there, a random actor seven of journalism connecting some actual dots on the origins of the virus. And the, 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 the people at Vanity Fair would really tell you that the premise of their article is that they believe the virus came from the lab in Wuhan and all the evidence points to that. But, but I couldn't get to that evidence because... 47 times in the story, they had to reassure me that the reason this didn't come out sooner is because we had a xenophobic racist president prior and uh, and and we couldn't and we had to lie to you to get rid of him. Orange man's bad now so we can tell the truth. Right. Well, um, Maggie Haberman tried this gaslighting uh, from where she at the New York Post or, or Washington Post, or New York Times. I can't remember which one uh, she tried this gaslighting on national TV last week. It, 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 there's some scrubbing going on here. Like, you know, when a cult realizes the cult leader, uh, you know, has to basically go. And so now we're trying to whitewash our our own, uh, you know, hands here so that the cult can go on. But then we create who the fall guy is going to be. I'm more fascinated into the Trump angle of this. So yesterday they announced his blog is gone. They have been hyping now a Trump social media platform. Maybe we're on the brink of that debuting now. Um, several of his advisors, including chief of staff, Mark Meadows have come out publicly and said, he's absolutely going to run again in 2024. Um, he himself was, uh, on Newsmax, I think yesterday or two days ago, uh, talking about how much he loves the vaccines and, uh, basically he should be considered the hero for coming up with them, even though there's a good portion of his base that are the most hesitant about, uh, the efficacy and the dangers of these vaccines. But politically, we've talked a lot on our show with you on the COVID, the politics of COVID, Stan. What about the politics of the opposition? 
So Anthony Fauci's ascendancy was at least on some level aided and abetted by Trump. He made what I believe is the worst decision in the history of the U.S. presidency and shutting the country down and handing over the reins of power to this fiend. And we're still paying for it 16 months later. On the other hand, I think you and I would both agree that there's several things that would be better in our lives right now if he were president instead of Joe Biden. All right. So is can you just, as you see things right now, do you believe that we can just run it back with Donald Trump in 2024 and get a different result than we got before? Well, I mean, you know, Trump likes to do whatever is being focused upon or discussed at that moment. He wants to do a really good job of it. So if it's ventilators, he's going to do ventilators like no one else does it. If it's vaccines, he's going to do vaccines like no one else does it. Um, If it's endorsing establishment Republican candidates, he's going to endorse it in such a way that no conservative could ever get a primary challenge. Like he endorsed Greg Abbott the other day Um, you're talking about. Exactly. The first time in the history of Texas that we actually are starting to get um, a a chance to primary, which and and the gubernatorial election in Texas, in my view, is more important than the presidential election because that is the future of our whole red state project to actually try to you know, make two two Americas in some way. And Texas would always lead the way with that, but we never had a good governor to do that. Um, Steve, the lesson has always been the pendulum. Democrats get in, they're way more radical than they can even convert the people into their way of thinking. So people just turn back to the alternative that's there. So what that always did is it just empowered the same establishment people that got us back in there to keep doing it. So Trump's just going to do that same repeat that same cycle in with the bow ties and the icing on the cake and more flair. And I do think I do think there will be more of a draw. There will be a miss miss me yet movement. I think there will be buyer's remorse. And I think people will go back to him. Um, But were he to become president, Steve, and and, and I say this with really a lot of sorrow, um, a lot of woe and lamentation. I, I, I wish I could could josh you guys here and lie to you but i know you and i talked about this and we really thought trump could be more powerful post-presidency that okay Mm -hmm. maybe he's president he's leader of the party he's not going to endorse against incumbents it's kind of hard okay but now i mean come on now he's just going to remake the party in one cycle and he's the only one who could do that based on what i'm seeing him do say and focus on plus the endorsements post-presidency I literally don't see how a second non-contiguous term would really be any different. Of course, you know, I think the border wouldn't be quite as bad. And, you know, obviously we'd rather him, you know, in in, uh, nominal terms. But remember, it will be four years down when the Overton window had already shifted even more unfavorably to our side, which is essentially the same lesson after 30 years. So you're left with everything but missed opportunities more flair, more icing, more packaging on the same gift wrap of feces that's the GOP. Are you concerned about a missed window of opportunity? In that, I mean, you and I are both Gen Xers. So we've got a few, uh, maybe a certain governor in Florida, maybe a certain senator in Texas that you and I both supported the last time. That are certainly more ideologically conservative than Trump. And in the case of the governor of Florida, have shown has shown maybe 
the most comprehensively positive example of governing from the right in a competitive setting that I have ever seen that I, that I even like know about, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, I'm, the Reagan era was a long time ago, and and so much of that focus was really around uh, the economy and the Soviet Union, yep. and not culture war issues at that time. That um, I just don't know that it's even comparable to the environment that Ron DeSantis finds himself in every single day in Florida, and yet it's little flourishes. Like let me announce the tranny bill the first day of the of of, of Pride Month. The dude is like looking looking for targets he gets up in the yep. morning he's like i got it I, someone's got to bleed i love the smell of napalm in the morning who's it going to be today right are you concerned that we could miss a window of opportunity with other possibilities like this who seem who don't come with the drama and the baggage of what we saw that the other guy comes with that he just may chloroform the room and we miss those opportunities uh are you concerned about that Steve, the, the story of the last four years or the prior four years was that we put all of our eggs in one basket. And I watched how we would get destroyed and destroyed on issue after issue, whether it was his fault or not. But we couldn't organize a movement to even reap the windfall of the good stuff he did. For example, when he got rid of allowed states to bar refugee resettlement. We so weren't focused on a, on a ground game of activism on the governors and the legislators that every red state went and said, hey, we're, we're bringing in refugees, even though Trump gave us what we wanted. Um, now, with him out, we're starting to see we're able to start to build, as slow as it is, a movement to do hardcore things in some states, and that's really where my passion is. I very much fear that this is going to continue to be the fentanyl that distracts our people, that keeps them focused on the wrong stories, the wrong issues, the wrong strategies, the wrong outcomes. It's all, well, Biden's doing this. If it would have been Trump, he would have been this. And okay, that's that's true, that's nice, but but we're dying as a country. Um, where Where's the target? You know, I just did a lot of target shooting, more defensive handgun training. People go to the range and they like discharging 45 cal. I see it all the time. They don't do drills that make them more proficient in shooting. They just like the shots go everywhere. And they they like the noise, the experience. That's what I think the Trump saga gives people, that fentanyl. But sometimes you have to know where you want to get your shots. It's not cool. You don't slap the trigger. Your shot will actually go low if you do that. Smooth, steady trigger press. Focus on the front sight. Focus on where you want that shot to go. And we'd be stupid to miss that opportunity unless, Steve, where the shot wants to go is not where you and I think it is. And maybe that is the end to itself, to keep the saga, mm -hmm. the story going, keep ratings going, and perhaps for those people, we'll be better. I really say that with a lot of sorrow, but at this point, it's very hard to see given the endorsements he's making, because that was really his last opportunity to really prove I mean, if he himself. took the office, he would just be surrounded by the very people we saw try to undermine him when he was same, president the first time. People. And in this case, he's actually now actively... He, he's he, telling us. Yes. He's telling us he likes Greg Abbott. Yep. He likes Jerry Moran. He likes Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham is like his gatekeeper now for yep. the endorsements. Yeah. Why would that change as president? 
final question. So I don't know Ron DeSantis at all. Uh, I met him for about a 20-minute conversation at a CPAC once, thanks to you. That's all I know about him. And limited communication with his off- audience or office, I should say, about endorsement of our book. Okay. Um, you know him personally. I know people that work in his operation personally. One of them recently told me, and I asked him this after I saw Ron, I think it was Pennsylvania went and spoke to and some other places. I'm like, could he, would he even consider challenging Trump in a primary for the nomination? If he wins, if he wins reelection next year. And this person told me six months ago, I'd have said, no way. Now I'm not so sure. What's your, without, I don't want to put you in a too difficult of a scenario, but what, um, do, what do you think would be the odds of that? So, I mean, he's obviously very ideologically driven on the one hand, like you you mentioned, he'll wake up every day. Okay, here's what I want to do on election. Here's what I want to do on crime, BLM, you know, immigration, boom, boom, boom. And he he has an agenda, uh, but he also is is politically savvy and he understands what's a winning issue and what's not a winning issue. He doesn't engage on everything. Um, so I think he will be very in tune with the politics of Trump. And I think as of now, I don't think he would do it. It it really would be a suicide mission. But I do think that what you are told is correct. If the trajectory continues and, and, and that's really Trump's own doing, he's he has been silenced by big tech. But he could have he there are many ways he could have made a big splash. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of made himself very obscure. And the few things he does say are kind of blah, awkward. I think that's actually sometimes. to his benefit, actually, Daniel. But, because but, but, because but, now we're just focused on the decisions he made that we liked as opposed to the daily soap opera that goes along with every time he opens his mouth. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if exactly. I'm, if I'm, you know, Jason Miller, who I worked with on the cruise campaign who works for Trump now, if, 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 if I was Jason Miller, I'd be like, don't ever get back on Facebook. Don't ever get back on Twitter. We're better off. We're actually just better off running on your record and never injecting your persona into this. Even though if you know, if you've ever known Trump for longer than 15 minutes, as I have, he can't. He can't do this without injecting his persona. It's half the damn reason he does it. But yeah, I hear you. Yeah, but 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 Steve, I, I, th- there's one other point that I think is worth mentioning here too. Is that we were told the country would have would be over. This is the most important election of our lifetime, and if Trump would lose, the country's over. So, isn't the country over? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, what's 2024? In other words, my point is. I, I mean, I'm 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 playing with the program. I'm I'm working with that premise. So to me, I thought the country's over, which is why I'm working in it with a different strategy, where I no longer care about even who's going to run for president, much less what happens in 2024 or even even more than a year from now. So I mean, that's to me again, the gubernatorial primaries. I have no problem putting my name behind this statement are the most important elections of our lifetime coming up. And on that front, Trump is really killing us. And by the way, on speed dial right now are the 10 other rhino governors that one of them, the Idaho governor, Brad Little, who has now a very serious challenge from Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan, you better believe he's on speed dial with Lindsey Graham getting that endorsement. So my challenge to some of our colleagues that have a direct line to the president is, how are you gonna make his endorsements great again and how do you drain the swamp by literally serving as the panic button for the swamp? Hmm. Good stuff, my friend. We'll do it again next week. Take care. Take care. God bless. Same to you. 
Any quick thoughts in the conversation Daniel uh, and I just had? I agree what he just said about the governors, which is so head spinning for me because now Trump is the one Daniel says is problematic towards that end when for me, that was the tipping point for me going from not voting for Trump to voting for Trump to protect my backyard here in Iowa because of the work Kim Reynolds has done and thought her job would be infinitely easier. Uh, it's it, This is the point about Donald Trump. It's just a constant game of Russian roulette. It's exhausting. Hmm. I mean, if, if, if the trajectory that DeSantis is on even if it if it reaches a zenith and he thinks it's a suicide mission to tra- challenge Trump in a primary, then it's a suicide mission for anybody to do it then. Yes. Yeah. Yikes. So... Our good buddy over here, Todd, you've got a little old man problem right now, right? I do. Yeah. That would be like an injury, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like, it's not like Todd comes in here every day complaining my back is sore, right? I mean, you right. You actually injured something and aggravated I it. did. Okay. But if you had, if, if we are, you and I now both at or at least approaching the ages where we could get pretty soon, like we're five minutes away from daily complaining my back is sore, right? For yeah. different reasons, right? All right, so if that's you and you're struggling with the aches and pains, it's not, ooh, I yanked something uh, and I've got an injury. It's a chronic aching and paining and and stiffening, uh, often in the back, uh, the knees, uh, the neck, the shoulders. If that is you, chances are the underlying cause is inflammation and you can run out and get those topical rubs and, and, and you know and put that on it just to get you through the day but that ultimately won't confront what is the real source of the problem which is the inflammation that's why you're looking for an all-natural anti-inflammatory like omega xl backed by 30 plus years of clinical research uh, it attacks the inflammation that's causing your pain it's a part of my daily regimen and if you want to make it a part of yours and give it a shot right now they're offering buy one bottle get a second one for free when you visit omegaxl.com that's buy a bottle get a second for free at omegaxl.com or give them a call at 800-844-4888. Again, that's 800-844-4888. It's time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, because we need uh, a little break from the demise fall of Western civilization. Three non-political questions. I suppose now would be a good time for me to come up with these. Um, Question number one. What's one opinion of yours that's taken a 180-degree turn in the last year? Or something approaching that. In the last year. Um, Jim Harbaugh. I have lost entirely and 
keep in mind, this is still, I, I'm a master compartmentalizer, which at times, by the way, is is a gift and at other times a curse because you can use that to justify making decisions um, that you maybe should not, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I still regard him as the greatest, my favorite player of my youth. I mean, I, I cut my teeth on him as a Michigan fan, as a young kid with him as our quarterback. And uh, I still love him as a player. I look back on those years fondly. Um, but I have, and I'm saddened by it. I, I want, I want to be wrong about this, man. I do. I really do. As much as I think there's a coach up the road that I think is a generational talent because I'm very familiar with the program that he's coaching. Uh, I've, I've had more access to that program than any other college football program in the country. I've seen what it takes to win there, how hard it is, how little winning is actually done there. So as much as I would love the opportunity to have a guy who's up the road and a generational talent and, and Matt Campbell be the next Michigan coach, I, I really would love it. I would love far more for uh, Jim to go out there, shock everybody, win the Big Ten, beat Ohio State, keep the favorite son, former Heisman Trophy finalist, first first-round quarterback, the hero of our youth, keep stability in the program. Because anytime you make a coaching change, man, anytime, it's a risk. I mean, if anybody in this room, December 30th, 2014, the day Jim Harbaugh's hired, if, someone, if, if, if we would have hopped in the DeLorean and Doc comes back it says, Marty, Marty, Marty. I've been to the future. Harbaugh doesn't beat Ohio State in six years. Would you guys have, would you guys have said? No doesn't win a single no Big chance. Ten championship. No, no chance. No. That's no chance. It, that's real life. It happened. So that's, a, that's further proof there are no guarantees when you make a change. If you can maintain continuity, you should. But you have to have success that justifies that continuity, Right. I mean, your program is a great example of this. They they flirted with going outside of Barry Alvarez's normal nexus for about a year and a half. And then Barry was like, and they were actually still winning games. Yeah. And Barry's like, I'm going to fire this guy now before him coloring outside the lines makes us a loser later, right? Right. He stepped into the middle of that and fired Gary Anderson when he was actually still winning games there because he just didn't like the trend line of how this was leading for them to kind of go outside of the blueprint. If you can maintain continuity as a as a in a in a college program, you should do it. But you have to have a success limit, probably in, in any business, I would imagine. But the success has to justify that. You can't have continuity for continuity's sake. If the people that are there suck, you have to make a move. But just understand there's no guaranteed move. And so my opinion is I, I started last year thinking that they had found something offensively, finally. And I had seen Jim come out of his shell and get involved. And sometimes they weren't in political causes I agree with. And it's like he would go to BLM rally and then he gave an interview to National Review talking about how bad abortion is. Okay, so But he was coming out of his shell more and more, being more involved with his players. And I'm starting to think maybe we're kind of getting this. And then we were like one of the first, the only schools in the country that had like no COVID issues the whole off season. And, and you know what, Michigan, man, they're doing like rectal testing there. Michigan cheats the other way. Like they want to, they'll put seventy-five layers of bureaucracy on the team just to just to embolden their sense of self-righteousness. Just so they can brag to you later when you beat them. Well, we you guys only beat us though, just because we're better humans than you and made it tougher on ourselves. That's kind of Michigan's mo. 
And and so I really thought last year they would take full advantage of that and they completely collapsed. The whole program imploded, imploded on site. And so I have lost all faith that he can recover it. Can I ask you a, a hypothetical that mm-hmm. I thought was good so I got a riot smile on my face, but let's just say let's just say Iowa State home to Matt Campbell right now and Michigan played the first game of the year this season. Who would you root for? Oh, I'm I'm all dude. I hope we win fifty to ten. Okay, I mean I. I but I, you you've got to say you it's a no lose situation. Let me tell you what is a more difficult proposition. Here's the question you should have asked me. Let's say Michigan is seven and five in a bowl game against Iowa State. Ooh. Okay. That's a more difficult situation because I'm still rooting for Michigan, but there have been a couple of times I've actually by rooting I've rooted for Michigan by rooting for the opponent. We played Nebraska in an Alamo Bowl in 2005. We went 7-4 and four that year. That team was freaking loaded with players. Should have never gone 7-4. and four. And I, I wanted Nebraska to beat us in that Alamo Bowl because I knew if they did, it would cause Lloyd Carr to make some changes on his coaching staff. Because if we went 8-4, and four, we're still in the top 25. You excuse that, right? But you go 7-5 and five and you lose to a Nebraska team, you're a double-digit favorite then. Changes are going to be made. That's what happened. We did make changes. And the next year, we started 11-0. and 0. The other time was Brady Hoke's last game against Ohio State that I, I wanted Ohio State just to put it on us because I didn't trust that Michigan would still move on even if Brady Hoke put up a good fight in the final game. So I always root for Michigan. I just may root for it through circumstances that may not directly be a win. And so let's say Iowa State has, an, has a, an, a really good season by their standards but isn't quite at the heights of this year's preseason expectations mm-hmm. and there are 9-3, and 8-4 and they play Michigan in a bowl game, and Michigan seven and five. What's the better scenario for a Michigan fan? Iowa State. That that Michigan wins that game and goes eight and five, and then we all just keep lying to ourselves that this thing's going well. Or have Iowa State go in there and beat us because seven and six looks pretty bad, right? Okay. In year seven under a coach, that looks bad. That would be a more difficult scenario. Yeah. Gotcha. Todd. One eighty degree opinion swing in the last year. Well, one year ago. I thought that I would never, ever be the co-author of a best-selling book. And <laughs> my opinion has changed. <laughs> there it is. Um, I'm going to be flogged for this. Soccer. It's like the athletic is yeah. equivalent. It's like the athletic equivalent of Breaking Bad. Yeah. Where it's really the median episode of Breaking Bad is really slow moving, but then those there's those moments of catharsis that just make you keep coming back. It's kind of what soccer is. I'm, I'm Aaron's betting on soccer. Steve's talking about vaccines all the time. I'm a co author of a book. I mean it's, Life comes it's at happening. Fast, bro. It's happening. Sola scriptura, sola scriptura. <laughs> <laughs> Steve's about to perform the exorcism, I think. Uh, question two. So USFL is coming back apparently next year. Doug Flutie made the announcement recently. If you were starting a new professional sports league, what sport would it be and how would you set it up? What would your priorities be? So I, I would actually start um, one of two leagues, and I'm not sure which one it would be. Um, a pro-American professional basketball league. Oh, that's a good idea. Uh, and 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 in our messaging, we would like openly troll the NBA, call it the China Basketball Association. I mean, we would. It would be a merciless. It would be very clear 
It not even uh, it would be not, not be opaque. It would be very clear why this was being started. Okay, because that to me would accomplish one of your two primary objectives. Either a you've you've provided enough of a nuisance to the NBA that you forced them back into the American mainstream as a result of a market force comp, uh, incentive, or b you have finally gotten them and isolated them to the point of admitting that they really are the China Basketball Association. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So it would be one of those, or it would actually be a spring professional football league. But but see, they think spring is January and February. I do not. I think, you know, I, I don't know a few people love football more than I do. But when the Super Bowl and stuff is over, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm disappointed, but it, it's really not until we get through the Final Four and then if your baseball team is sucks, you kind of know by Memorial Day, that's when you really start jonesing, right? I would plan this out for the actual spring. Nobody wants okay? to come to a, a, a game in January or February in Northern Latitude. Yeah, that's winter football. And yeah. we just finished a season. I would actually do it in the spring. It would be a season that would start, uh, I might even start at Final Four weekend to try to have it be a lead-in program uh, the kick, or a follow-up uh, show that very weekend, so end of March, beginning of April, and it would be a season that would, you know, end around the 4th of July weekend, sometime right around, you know, and that's the final game, okay? that That's what I would do. I do think there's a market for it. Think of it right now. You just said, hey, you're playing the NCAA game. Football magazines yep. are out on the shelves, right? This is actually a time when you start thinking, if your team's not in it at Major League Baseball, you don't care about the China Basketball Association, this is actually a time where you might be thinking, hey, it's going to be 90 degrees Saturday. I could use a, something to watch for a couple hours in the basement where it's cool and throw on some football. That's what I would be doing. Uh, I don't know so much a league. Uh, and I think this is kind of what wide world of sports maybe used to be, but uh, tentpole non-Olympic year gatherings of at least the three the swimming track and field and gymnastics are, are the biggies in summer, but where they have events going on in the same place at the same time uh, to, to, to not go full Olympics, but to provide that sort of experience, keep those athletes, uh, front and center, I think that would be something worthwhile. But I think that's an interesting proposal. I mean, if we had, you had asked me this a couple of years ago, I would have said they should move the, I'd, I'd run the PGA and I'd move the PGA championship from August to May. Yeah, so, that, so, so that we own yeah. April, May, June, and July. We had a major every month and we own the whole summer rather than throwing the, because the PGA championship is getting destroyed by NFL preseason mm-hmm. games in August, right? <laughs> well, they actually did that. And now the thing's a massive ratings winner. That is one of the more clever sports league marketing moves of the last few years was moving the PGA championship from August to May to own that month. And then you basically have a, a, a grand slam that takes place throughout the course of, of the summer months when you have no football to compete with. I thought that was brilliant. I would start the uh, rug ball league. So this is the Russian sport that went viral a couple of uh, a couple months ago where it's a combination of basketball, I think rugby and wrestling. All in one. And, and I mean, they play it on the hard surfaces, too. So there, there's takedowns on concrete. That would be that'd be fun I, to watch. I did propose to Aaron off camera a couple of days ago. Steve, I proposed the same thing to you to see if I uh, if the Olympics are in Tokyo, uh, get you guys in on that betting action, Olympic betting action. No, no. I have no idea yeah. where to start yeah. researching that. That would be fun. I'll probably do it. Uh, Number three, (laughs) if you could travel to any year in the future, what year would you choose and why? 
year and in a, a year. Sure. As far into the future as the time machine would allow me to go. Because I want to see how it ends. <laughs> so I would go as far into the future as the time machine would allow me to go. There's a fascinating uh, uh, underrated Christian film that was done about 15 years ago called Time Changer. And it's about this small eight, 19th century uh, seminary it turns out one of their dads built a time machine after reading HGL's book and it works. And he's able to go into the future and find out it's got the guy who played Barney Miller's in it. And the guy who was the captain of the love boat is in it. It's really underrated. Paul Rodriguez, the comedians in it. It's really underrated, but it, at the end you find out that there are, you can only go so far into the future because that's the end. Okay. I would, I would go as far in the year, the furthest year into the future, the time machine would allow me to go. How about um, one year after my death? See how, you know, it's not it, the days after. There's too see much the of wife, a See how the wife's traded up? No, no, just to see what, <laughs> then you know. Did you, you are, are you missed? Did oh, you, your legacy, I got gotcha. you. Did you leave a mark? Yeah. But my, uh, That's an mu- interesting As answer. much yeah. to your, your, your children and everything else, you know, did, did you matter? Are they, are they moving on in, yeah. in whatever spirit you hope they would i would go so my technically adult life let's just say it started at 18 i would say you know 15 16 but let's just say it started at 18 um so that's been 10 years now uh i would just go 10 years in the future i just want to see if things um collectively are any fundamentally different than they were than they are now or that they were back when they were back when I was 18. I just want to see if things are different or if it's just nothing new under the sun. I think it's probably nothing new under the sun, but I want to see for myself. That was a good question. I like I thought you guys' answers were interesting too. But that see those are the kinds of questions you got to bring it every week in this segment. That well, was good. Let's not low expectations, high aspirations. Yes. Let's let's raise maybe have the expectations and aspirations maybe that chasm kind of shrink a little back at it again uh, tomorrow until then John 317 this is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network